You're listening to the N2K Space Network. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Space debris. It's a problem. And many in the space community have been calling out for a more unified approach to solving it instead of leaving it to a patchwork of good-faith efforts. Or at least for something, perhaps from the U.S. government, with a bit of teeth to it to help get a handle on this big and growing issue. And maybe we have that now? T-minus. 20 seconds to LOS. Today is November 3rd, 2023. I'm Maria Varmazis. I'm Alice Carruth, and this is T-Minus. The Orbitz Act unanimously passes the U.S. Senate. U.S. Congress introduces amendments to update government oversight of commercial space activities. Cetus Space is awarded an IDIQ contract. And our guest today is Saxaford Spaceport CEO, Frank Strang. So stay with us for the second part of the show. Let's take a look at today's Intel briefing. Well, the Orbitz Act, which is meant to help remediate the space debris problem, just unanimously passed in the U.S. Senate. It now needs to pass in the U.S. House. And if it does, the Orbitz Act would support policies and technologies to help remove space debris and give a variety of U.S. federal agencies directives to enact measures to reduce the space debris that's up there and prevent as much as possible anyway the industry from creating any more. To be a bit more specific, the Orbitz Act would, number one, task the Department of Commerce Office of Space Commerce, or the OSC, with publishing a high-risk space debris list. Number two, create a NASA program to demonstrate orbital debris removal for faster technology development. Number three, foster consistent orbital debris regulations through a multi-agency update for government systems. And number four, require the OSC alongside the National Space Council and the Federal Communications Commission, 
to promote space traffic coordination to prevent collisions and debris generation. It's not a cure-all for this difficult problem, but if implemented and properly supported, especially given how stretched U.S. federal agencies often are, could it help? It certainly could. And Jonathan Daigle from the National Space Society had this to say about the act. So these are all very positive steps forward, but they do highlight one of the major problems that um, NSS has been trying to advocate for, and that is there's a lack of uh, overall coordinated effort among government agencies uh, in space regulation. So the FCC uh, has, you know, we've everyone is probably heard about the re- reduction in from the down to five years after the life of a, a satellite that has been licensed. Uh, Spectrum has been licensed um, through the FCC anyway. Um, They must uh, deorbit, but this is the FCC regulating spacecraft based on their uh, mandate to allocate spectrum in the public interest. Uh, Then you have the FAA, who is regulating both launch, licensing launch, and reentry, and now they have rules about orbital debris. Their timeline is still 25 years, so they haven't uh, adopted the the lower standard, which I, th- I think is probably a good idea. I, I know that it, it's a concern because industry hasn't already planned for this. And so one of the problems that affects industry in this situation is uncertainty. And one of the ways there is uncertainty in the industry is changing regulations. So if you've already put a satellite in orbit and now the rules are different, I mean, they may not apply to you, but it's going to cause a lot of, um, let's say, anxiety uh, for, for businesses because their business models are based on a set of rules. And so the changing rules are a, comp- a problem for them, as are uh, as is the sort of this, um, it's sort of a food fight over which government agencies are going to regulate things in space. And I think one of the things that I have asked is, you know, where does, for example, the FCC's authority to regulate spectrum end? Does it end in low Earth orbit? No, it does not. Does it end, you know, in geostationary orbit? No, it does not. Does it end uh, in the or- around the orbit of the moon? Does it end on the surface of the moon? How about Mars? I mean, you know, so we don't know uh, where these, there's no clear uh, guideline for where these authorities will end. And what we don't want is every agency in the federal government saying, well, I'm, res- I'm responsible for environmental concerns. I'm responsible for transportation. I'm responsible for this. And so whether it happens on the Earth or it happens on Mars, if it's an American thing, then, then we're going to regulate it. I mean, even with the FCC, they don't limit their regulation to just U.S. activities. If you are going to use spectrum in the United States and you're a foreign entity, then you're going to be subject to their regulation. Um, in fact, they intend to regulate uh, foreign launches. Um, so, for example, from French Guiana or, or somewhere else, as long as that vehicle uh, is connected to uh, an American uh, downlink, which you know the spectrum is in the United States, you know, territory or domain, I guess. So, um, it's it's a complex issue, and um, hopefully. Uh, This is just one step moving in the right direction, but there's a lot of work to do. U.S. Congress has introduced a bipartisan amendment to Title 51 of the United States Code to update government oversight of commercial space activities and other purposes. 
The intention of the amendments are to modernize government oversight of commercial space missions. The amendment states that it serves the national interest to address misconceptions of legal uncertainty through the establishment of a general authorization and supervision certification for outer space activities carried out by non-governmental entities. According to the bill summary, the act also works to ensure that the US remains a world leader in commercial space activities. The bill designates the Department of Commerce Office of Space Commerce as the single authority responsible for the authorization and supervision certification process. It goes on further to state that it does not impact existing FCC authority to regulate spectrum and telecommunication satellites or FAA authority to regulate launch and re-entry operations. It seems to be along the lines of the study produced by graduate students at George Washington University's Space Policy Institute, which reviewed the commercial space mission authorization regime. And we covered that in our Deep Space episode number 22, which we've included a link to in our show notes. We will follow this bill as it progresses. And the U.S. Office of Space Commerce is en route to Seoul for a Republic of Korea U.S. Space Week where the two nations say they will be strengthening the U.S. ROK commercial space cooperation, as called for last April by Presidents Biden and Yoon. The week's events are being hosted by the Republic of Korea's Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the Ministry of Science and ICT to commemorate the 70th anniversary of the U.S. ROK alliance. If you live out on the West Coast near Vandenberg, then you probably heard the rud this week. A... Thankfully, unarmed Minuteman III intercontinental ballistic missile was effectively terminated by Space Launch Delta 30 on November 1st as it flew over the Pacific Ocean. The US Air Force Global Strike Command says an unexpected anomaly emerged during the test launch. A launch analysis group is forming to investigate the cause of the anomaly. Cetus Space has been awarded an Indefinite Delivery Indefinite Quantity or IDIQ contract to provide services to a U.S.-owned company in support of their commercial lunar program. The five-year IDIQ contract has a $10 million ceiling. Cetus Space says they will be supporting an unnamed lunar transportation infrastructure and exploration services company with program management, flight software, command and data handling, and electrical and thermal support services. Netherlands-based startup company Spherical Systems has raised an investment totaling almost 1 million euros to develop its own chip designed specifically for the extreme conditions in space. Spherical Systems CEO Thomas Parry said that the new funding will allow the company to demonstrate its technical and commercial relevance on the global stage. That concludes our briefing for today, but you'll find links to further reading on all of the stories we've mentioned in our show notes. We've included a few that we didn't have time to cover. One of them is SpaceX and NASA have delayed their cargo resupply mission again. Elon Musk says Starlink has achieved cash flow break even. NASA's Lucy has encountered its first 10 asteroids. And the US, China, and EU have signed an agreement to work together on AI safety. All these stories and more at space.n2k.com. Hey, T-Minus crew, tune in tomorrow for T-Minus Deep Space, our show for extended interviews, special editions, and deep dives with some of the most influential professionals in the space industry. Tomorrow, we have Frank Strang talking about the Saxa Ford spaceport. Check it out while you're recovering from your Halloween candy hangover or shopping for holiday decorations. You don't want to miss it. 
now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Saxivord Spaceport is weeks away from hosting its first launch. I spoke to CEO Frank Strang to find out what it takes to build a spaceport, where the idea came from, and what we can expect in the future. The finished product, if we ever get to one, will be a multi-use spaceport right up on the north of the UK. So once is the most northern inhabited island in the UK, and we're up there at almost 61 degrees north. At the moment, we're building three launch pads. Um, so we're multi-use. We're looking to build two more, so that'll be five, which will give us a sustainable spaceport. But we're also building a ground station network. Um, a big thing um, for us is how can we create a sustainable business? And that hinges around um, marrying science with the arts, with tourism and the environment. We're looking to bring the airport back online. And we are looking to bring lengthen the runway, bring that online so our clients can fly in directly and we can um, bring in both tourism and tourists and clients. The final vision is, you know, is, is a pretty complicated jigsaw, but tied into that, you know, some of the things that we're really proud of already is our education and STEM outreach program. The other thing that lastly, I'm very keen on building on the spaceport site is our own space environmental and ecological controls center so we can use the data that we're bringing down to help save the planet. It's not new, but we can do this all in one location. We need to start with building, you know, the launch facility and, and we're way down the, the line with that now. I'd love to know what sort of motivated you to 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 make a spaceport. That's not it's not an easy undertaking. The space industry to me is like the new industrial revolution. It's a phenomenal growth. The UK government th- want, we've always had a satellite industry, um, 60% of the world's CubeSats are designed and built in, in the central belt of Scotland, but we never had a launch industry. So the government launched a competition to find the optimal site for launching small sats into space from the UK. The emissary that went round the islands um, came to the, our, local, um, our local authority, our local council, and said, would Shetland be interested in launching um, rockets? And that's all we knew. So they came to me and um, said, would you be interested in participating in this program? And we genuinely didn't know too much about it. I'm an ex-Air Force officer, so I, I know a bit about aerospace and, and space. But And gradually we got sucked into, into, the, into the sector and we realized that our site on Anst was the optimal site because of our geographic location. And... Five, six years ago, um, I decided to throw my hat in the ring um, with our team, um, 
try to get into the space economy. And we didn't know as much as we know now, which is probably a good thing, because had we known... <laughs> One would hope. <laughs> we wouldn't have That's done the it. right direction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and bit by bit, we, we, got, we, we held a symposium, invited the great and the good from the European space industry up to, up to Anston, up to Shetland, and everyone said, this is a great location. So that put the gas in our tank that said, okay, let's go for it. So with um, my fellow um, directors, we, we um, put some money into the pot and off we went. And we went off to learn our, our craft, pardon the pun. And we were the last people in the UK to enter this competition. And the competition was actually won by Lockheed Martin and an American company well, called ABL Space Systems from L.A., but they were looking at another location, which didn't quite work. So long story short, the um, the government um, novated the the Pathfinder program from another location to us. We went off to raise the money, um, had to secure the planning permits. Um, we had to learn a lot about the industry. And a lot of my guys are ex-Air Force pilots, and some of them have been in the space industry. And bit by bit by bit, um, we we grew the company to where we are now. And in the last five years, you know, we've gone from being at the bottom of the pile to leading the way in Europe, you know, and that's come at a, a cost, but it's hugely exciting. And I've got an awful lot of pride in my team because I, I'm the least technically able in our team. It's the team below me that are making it all happen. So what gave me the impetus was somebody told us we couldn't do it. <laughs> so, so, to any Scotsman, if you tell them you can't do something, you say, well, we're going to do it. But also it felt like the right thing to do because the jobs that we're creating, the educational program, you know, I don't know if you've been following our website, you'll see that in the summer on our outreach program, our online um, the classroom, we had a quarter of a million kids participate from all over the world, from the UA, from Europe, from um, Sri Lanka, a quarter of a million kids, that's incredible, you know, and um, that's a legacy that we're all very pr- proud of. So I probably haven't answered your question, but we fell into it by accident. It's all-consuming, as anybody that's in the space industry will tell you. We started off with four employees. I've now got just over 84 employees and growing, and we have no clients now. We've got multi-clients. All we've got to do now is get our spaceport license completed, and, and away we go. Yeah, and fingers crossed for you on the license. Yeah. I know that that is a waiting game. So very close. So we we're we're weeks away from being awarded it. My goodness, that is extremely exciting. Uh, I I wish you all the best because that is I know everybody's waiting for you. We're all cheering you on. For that. That's fantastic news. Oh my goodness, because um, I was going to ask about uh, suborbital flights because I know that there are some there's some uh, work with. With high impulse, uh, can you give us an update on what's going on with suborbital? Yes, yeah, so suborbital, we've got um, we've got several clients that are looking to 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 launch. And um, high impulse have been with us now for goodness last three or four years, testing their engines. They've come over from Germany. It looks like their first um, suborbital may be from Australia, um, but that's all about timing. But their second will be with us in Q two or three of next year. Um, so we've got high impulse. Um, who, are, who are then looking to do multi-launches, you know, then to go orbital with us. Um, we've got um, a company called Skyrora, um, also looking to go suborbital next July, coincidentally at the same time that 
rocket factory Augsburg are looking to go orbital. You know, so we've got high impulse uh, Skyrora on the suborbital front, and then we've got RFA looking to go orbital, and then we've got ABL Space Systems looking to go orbital under the Pathfinder program. So next year, we should have between four to five launches of some shape or size um, between March and and the end of the year. But that's because we've got three pads. Remember, you know, you know, we're we've deliberately created this multi-use facility. Um, High Impulse conducted a very successful engine test a few weeks ago. Um, they're ready to rock and roll. They're really nice guys. There's a lot of nice people in this in this industry. But um, I've noticed that. <laughs> yeah, there's great. a lot of nice yeah. people. You know what I love about it is it's international. You know, so we've got two German clients in High Impulse and Rocket Factory Augsburg. And yeah, RFA have got 17 different nationalities working for them. And they can all speak better English than me. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero-trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Welcome back. Today, we want to pay our respects to two-star Rear Admiral in the U.S. Navy and NASA astronaut Thomas K. Mattingly II, commonly known as Ken or T.K. Mattingly, who died on Tuesday at the age of 87. Mattingly flew around the moon as the command module pilot for Apollo 16 in 1972. He stayed at NASA after his Apollo flight, and was a founding father, so to speak, of the NASA Space Shuttle program. And later, Mattingly himself commanded and flew on the Space Shuttle's Columbia and Discovery in the early 80s. Mattingly was a big part of the Apollo program, not just in his work on helping to develop the Apollo spacesuit and backpack, he was also support crew for many of the Apollo missions. Capcom for Apollo 18, backup command module pilot for Apollo 11, and famously part of the crew for Apollo 13, but he was exposed to, but did not end up getting, rubella right before the scheduled flight and was grounded. But since he was not unwell, Mattingly brought his expertise to bear in the huge effort to get the Apollo 13 crew home to safety. When he reflected on Apollo 13 in an interview in 2001, this is what he said. The beauty of the program was that everyone knew Apollo was so hard that there was no room for any distraction, no room for politics. There's no personalities getting in. I don't care who's got the right answer. Just get it right and it's okay. It didn't matter if it's the new kid on the block or the guy who's retired. Anyone who's got an answer to our problems is sought after and appreciated. 
and you don't get to work in that kind of climate very often. That's one of the things that you really saw in this era. You have to have a contrast with something else to realize how much you should appreciate that kind of environment and the people who created it. That's all there is to Apollo 13. There are not many astronauts from the Apollo days still living, and it's always sad when we must say goodbye to another hero of that generation. Truly, the modern space era stands on the shoulders of giants like T.K. Mattingly. May he rest in peace. That's it for T-minus for November the 3rd, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in the show notes. Your feedback ensures we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in the rapidly changing space industry. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like T-Minus are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, from the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Karpf. And I'm Maria Varmazis. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com.